0: This church, today, we're going to continue our walk through the Gospel of John, right? As we've been doing this for several weeks now, today we're actually going to start, we're not going to finish, but we're going to start to look at one of the longest, continuous teachings of Jesus found in all of Scripture, right? It starts in verse 31 of chapter 13 and goes all the way through chapter 17, It's often referred to as the farewell discourse. This is Jesus when he's with his disciples for the the Passover meal that they started uh, last week as we look through the scriptures. They're finally starting to put pieces together on what is going to happen. For the first time, they're starting to realize that Jesus right now is about to establish his kingdom. And it starts with him going to the cross. Not leading a... Some political takeover of the government, not some military coup, but Jesus, their leader, is going to the cross. And that is how he's going to establish his kingdom. This is not at all what they expected. This was not in their plans for how the kingdom would come. As a matter of fact, as they start putting the pieces together, this is starting to be be the, the beginning of the worst day of their lives. Right? This cannot happen. It can't be like this. When Jesus goes to the cross, they're going to lose their leader. They're probably going to be hunted down, and if not killed, imprisoned by the religious leaders. Friends and family are going to be punished, right? Their friends and family are going to be punished, probably kicked out of the temple just for their association with them. So those relationships are all strained. They're going to lose their community, they're going to lose all of their support. And you can only imagine the anxiety that is beginning to build in the disciples as they begin to process what Jesus is telling them. As they begin to put these pieces together, the death of this friend, this leader, their rabbi, their teacher, the uncertainty of their future and the pain of these strained relationships. You start putting those in a bowl and mixing them together and we start to have what we call a bad day. Things are not going well. Our hearts are burdened and they ache. And have you ever been there before? As we start talking about these bad days, I am sure there are many of you that say, before, I'm living it right now. And sometimes we experience these, maybe in the unexpected death of a loved one or a close friend. Or a sickness or cancer just sucker punches us out of nowhere. We're not ready for it. My guess is you have been in this place before. I mean, don't tell my kids this, but I'm not very old. And there are several of these times in my life that I have experienced. I remember when I was 20 years old, a very good friend of mine was on a business trip in Texas. And he was coming back and we were planning this celebration. And as he got out of his cab to go to his hotel room, He was shot seven times in the back and killed still no answers as to why my 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 grandma who was healthy and my grandpa was getting sick and so we were planning arrangements for my grandma and she ends up going to the doctor for just her checkup she's a healthy grandma and the doctor says cancer has taken over your body you're going to die in a few months and our family took a step back like how could this happen she's the most healthy person in our family and I still remember when the The doctor looked at her and said, I don't believe this. This cancer has has taken over the entire inside of your bodies. You should be in great discomfort. You should have extreme pain. And I remember she looks at this doctor and says, I'm an old lady. Every day is painful all day. (laughs) Right? Like, I don't know what you're talking about, young man, but this is what happens when you get old. It's not for the faint of heart. Right? Nanny didn't mess around. I remember when our son Isaac, right, our, our child was being born, and we were so excited, and he was born, and we bring him home, only to have to take him back to the hospital a couple weeks later, and stayed there for several days as he was having respiratory issues, right? Not how we imagined it as first-time parents, not what we expected was going to happen. That didn't meet our nice little, like, lullabies in the background, rocking Isaac in our home in the room that I painted and did construction work that I'm not good at for him, I didn't expect it to be in the hospital. I've met with parents whose relationship with their kids is broken, I right? for, for a variety of reasons. You think there's only one reason to break that relationship. There's thousands of reasons. Just last week I wept with a parent who 12 years ago, his daughter chose one relationship over the relationship with her family and it has never been restored. And to pray with that parent and seek, like, when is this going to end? this heartache this burden is just too much and as we go through life we have all had these days where our world's just come crashing down and we're overloaded with fear anxiety oftentimes we find ourselves just alone and hopeless emotionally maybe even physically we freeze we don't we don't know what to do we don't know who to turn to there's no way this news can get any better it's just going to end this is a crisis. This is a time of intense difficulty and trouble and danger. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. We are just overwhelmed. That's what these disciples are sitting and feeling as they're hearing that Jesus is about to go to the cross. Everything is coming, crashing down. Right? As a matter of fact, it will be in just a few hours that Jesus will be headed to the cross. Right, despite the teachings that he has done for the last three years, and hindsight is 20-20, so it's really nice to go through the Bible today and look at Jesus' teaching and say, disciples, he said it right here in verse 2. He said it in verse 15, we knew it was coming. Right? But they had no idea. He's heading to the cross. Their world's going to be flipped upside down. They've given up everything to follow him, they've given up family and jobs financial security, peaceful relationships, convenient comforts just having a job, right? Just having a place to sleep. And they say, you know we're going to give this all to Jesus, and Jesus is about to just turn it upside down on them and shake and shake. He's going to leave them. And as he's leaving them, he knows what they're about to face. He knows the situations they're about to face. He knows the confusion and the questioning that's going to come into their hearts. Dare I even say the doubting that will overtake many of them. And it's in these following chapters that we're allowed to eavesdrop on Jesus' final words, on his final teaching to his disciples. So they're about to find themselves in the middle of the worst day of their life. And Jesus has some words for them. Right? They're going to be faced with tough times and they're going to be faced with really hard days. And so Jesus starts off this teaching by reminding them, right, by encouraging them to put their focus on him, right, to put their focuses on the promises that he has made. As a matter of fact, when we go through this teaching, there's not going to be anything new here. The one thing I really, really liked about this teaching is there's no parables. There's no second guessing. Jesus doesn't answer questions with questions. It is pretty straightforward, and Jesus is bringing his disciples' focus back to him, And my prayer for you today, as it has been for me as I've been studying, is that these words and these promises will encourage you as you face your tough times in the future. Or maybe even as you are currently walking through those tough times right now, I know that in this church, I know that to those, some of you that are watching online, you are facing a very, very difficult situation right now. Some of you are sitting in your chairs right now saying, blah, 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 let's get to what Jesus says. Just get to what Jesus says. Right? Like I'm in a tough time, I don't care about this. Let's get to Jesus' teaching. So that's where we're just going to jump right there, right now. So if you remember picking up from last week, Jesus is with his disciples at the final Passover meal. It's the night before he'll be crucified. He starts off by washing their feet. Even Judas's feet, he washes Judas' feet. And shortly after he washes their feet, he tells Judas, whatever you are going to do, Do it quickly. And Judas leaves, and now Jesus is left with his faithful disciples as they are sitting there eating. And we'll begin in verse thirty one. Says And when he had gone out, and they're referring to Judas, Jesus said, Now is now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will be glor will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And as we start this little passage off, as we start this teaching off, Jesus begins with the word now. And what he is doing is he's now referring to now that Judas has left. Right, this is significant in the gospel story because Judas leaving puts the plan in motion for Jesus to go to the cross. Judas leaving puts the events start coming down and start leading to Jesus going to the cross. Right, It is this hour we keep going through John. We hear it's not my time. It's not my hour. Well, guess what? It's this hour. Right, We are now there. And it's this time that Jesus goes to the cross that the entire gospel points to. Not just the entire gospel of John, the entire gospel, the good news right, the holiness of God and the depravity of man, and the rescuer, Jesus, comes through the cross, right, starting in Genesis 3, 15, through the entire Old Testament, through the teaching of Jesus, the law is fulfilled, death is defeated, and the full glory of the Father and the Son will be revealed on the cross, starting in Genesis 3, we start to hear that, we start to see it, the gospel is presented to us, and now is that time, Right, if we think that the gospel is just about the works of Jesus, if we think the gospel is maybe that Jesus is just a good teacher and it's just about his teaching, then we miss the glory that God revealed on the cross. Right, we are no different than the Jews who rejected him, than the, the disciples who left him, or the crowds that got bored with him. We are no different. We miss the entire point of the gospel. We miss the great moment of history when God displayed his Glory! if we don't look to the cross. And here, Jesus is talking about that glory. Notice that when Jesus starts talking, he doesn't just say, hey guys, listen up, now I'm going to die. No, he talks about being glorified. And that is his first promise that he makes, that he draws people to, is that Jesus promises his full glory will be revealed. Twenty-three times in the Gospel of John, we find some form of the word Glory. Five of those occurrences are found right here in these first two verses in 31 and 32. Five times. This is about glory. John makes it clear that the climax of the gospel of Jesus, the greatest moment of displayed glory in all of history, will be found at this time, at this moment, in the shame of the cross. That is the primary reason why the title Son of Man is used here. That's why Jesus said the Son of Man is going outside the New Testament. When we see that term, when we see the Son of Man, it is referring to the glory of God. If you look at Daniel 7, you'll see Daniel refers to the Son of Man. as talking about God's glory. Within the New Testament, specifically within the other gospel writers, the other three gospel writers, the title Son of Man, do you know what it's tied to? Suffering. Right, the other Gospels, when they talk about the Son of Man, they're talking about suffering. And what happens now is John takes those two terms together. And for the first time, we see that it is Jesus' suffering that will reveal His glory. And that happens at the cross. Right, God is glorified in Jesus' life and His sacrifice, His death, His resurrection, His exaltation. And for us, we can look at that and we can say, oh, there's Jesus' life. It was 33 years and then we could go, oh, then he went to his death and then there was three days. And we start breaking these things up. Right, but for our redemption story and as God looks at this, this was an event. This is when his son of God came, right, paid the price and was exalted. This is an event and God is glorified In the life of Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection. And that comes together at the cross and the Father is glorified. But we also see that Jesus is glorified in that same event. Right? In the presence and the essence of his heavenly Father. All through his life. All through his walk to the cross and on the cross. And it's partly because of this event that Jesus re-enters into glory. Right, He had with the Father before the, the Word became incarnate, before He was the Word, before Jesus came to the earth. He was in the glory of Father. And we see Him going back there. This entire event, Jesus' life and death and resurrection, shows us the glory of God's sovereignty. From day one, this was planned, and then it was executed. And Jesus goes to the cross. The entire gospel points to the cross. Through Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, God's glory is revealed. It's in his suffering that we find God's perfect justice and mercy come together. It's through Jesus' suffering on the cross that we see God's humility and sovereignty come together. We see his grace and his love and his righteousness and his holiness come together on the cross. And when we see those things combined, we see the glory of God. And it is there on the cross that we see that. And when we think about it, it's for this reason that it's the cross that leads us to worship. I want you to think about this for just a minute. The cross is an instrument of death. That's what the cross was used for. It didn't have any other purposes. It wasn't used for sporting. It wasn't used for like target practice. It had one purpose and it was to kill people. It was one of the greatest death tools of the time. It killed people slowly and painfully. A horrible death. That was its entire purpose. Yet, when we look at Christians, we parade crosses around all the time. We, we put them on our shirts, we hang them up around our walls, we wear them on necklaces around us, we put, put crosses on our, our cars. Right? Why is that? Why do we as Christians do that? And it's because on the cross, through the suffering of Jesus, we see the glory of God. It's on the cross that we see the glory of God revealed. And to those of us that know Jesus and to those of us that have sit at the foot of the cross, the cross is now the greatest symbol of hope in the entire world. As we look at our Savior hung up there, this is the place where God's power and mercy revealed his glory like never before or ever since. The cross is the symbol of God's glory. We've tried to replace this glory with our own works, right, with our own types of worship. We try to think, hey, God, we can do this better than you, and we see this in verse 33. Jesus says, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Twice in this gospel, Jesus is recorded of telling the Jews those same exact words. You will seek me, but where I am going, you cannot come. But if we look back at those passages, they're both in uh, ones in chapter 7 and ones in chapter 8 we see that it's about Jews trying to find their own salvation, whether it's through temple worship, whether it's through their religious practices. They're trying to find their own way to salvation through their own means, through their own religion. And you're trying to find salvation through works. Now, at one point, Jesus tells them, you're going to die in your sins. So sometimes what he doesn't say to the disciples is just as important. Right? So he says, where I'm going, you cannot come, and he looks at the religious leaders, the Jews, and says, you're going to die in your own sins. You will never see me. He doesn't say that to his disciples. He actually tells his disciples, hey, children, and this was an affectionate term, and he's trying to help them understand. He's trying to help them come to terms with his departure and their need for their, his departure, And it's like they are not understanding and he's not condemning them. He's trying to connect with them. He's trying to help them understand that his departure is needed for their future hope. And he tells them, I'm going to the cross and I go alone, right? It is only Jesus that can pay the penalty that that satisfies God's justice. It is only Jesus. Jesus is 100% sufficient. And here's the ugly truth of the gospel is that Jesus is perfect and you're not. So, like, if you go to try to help Jesus, you just mess it all up. Right? When you have perfect and you add imperfection to it, it's not perfect anymore. Just stay where you are. Right? Jesus went to the cross for you. Don't mess it up. It's not because of lack of desire or lack of heart that you can't do it. It's for lack of righteousness and holiness. We are sinful people. And Jesus goes to the cross alone. He pays the price for us. And it's through that that we see God's glory revealed. And that's this first promise that he made, is that his glory is going to be. Now we can look back where 2,000 years passed, we can say his glory was revealed on the cross. If we look at the second promise, let's read beginning in verse 34. Jesus says this, "A, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And as we look through this, I want to look at this promise, the second promise that he gives us at the very beginning of that passage, is that he will empower us in community, right? That the Spirit will empower us for Christian community. This is a new community like nothing that has ever been seen before, a community that's empowered by God, and it's defined by demonstrating God's love for one another, And this is another example of God's intention that the Christian faith is not to be lived alone. I'm not looking at anybody on the TV screen right now. But when you're at home, sitting on your couch, saying, I don't need the church. It's just between me and Jesus. I don't need people. Jesus says, you're wrong. Jesus is empowering you to be in Christian fellowship with other people. To love as Jesus loved others. It's just an example that he gives that we are to share lives with one another. And not just to share lives with one another, but to share lives with one another that the outside world looks at us and says, something's different. Something's different about these people, the way that they love one another, the way that they care for one another. Something is different. And when they ask us, we can point them to Jesus, right? Because they see Jesus in our life. Tertullian, he was this guy in the second century, but he reported this in his writings. He says this. He's talking about the pagans in his day. He said, behold, how these Christians love each other. How ready are they to die for each other? Their mutual love was the magnet which drew the pagan multitudes to Christ. It has the potential to do so still. He wrote that in the second century. We're 18 centuries later. And guess what? it still has the power to do so. And there's only one way that God's love will still be seen in us. And that's if his love is the source of our love. Right, We're to love others as Christ loved us. Jesus tells us in that command, he says, just as I have, just as I have loved you, you are to love others. The world is tired of just talk. Let me be really honest with you, church. The church is just tired of talk. Right? We just talk, talk, blah, blah, blah. We are not doing anything. But this command that Christ gives us is a love action. It's defined by washing feet, one of the dirtiest jobs. Dr. Garland gave us a great picture last week when he talked about picking poo out of the toes of people. It's like, whoa, I just had a towel. I was just gonna wipe it down. That's what I had in my mind. But it's so much more than that this is the love that as christians we are to show one another but it's only through jesus's work on the cross where he traded our sinful nature for a new righteous nature that we will be able to love people as he loved us right later this same author gospel john in a letter he would write we love because he first loved us Right? Meaning our action of love is because he first loved us. Now we know how to love. Now we know how we should love. And we are able to love because he has empowered us. And we're going to talk a whole lot about this before we get to the end of chapter 17. But Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit that's going to come and it's going to empower you as followers of Jesus to love other people. Demonstration of this love is an indicator of Christ living in your heart. Right? Are you identified by your quality of love for one another? Do people see that in your Life and in your actions. Followers of Jesus, those where Jesus reigns as king in our lives, who live in the kingdom of God and are empowered by God to love others more than ourselves, should show. That goes against everything that society teaches. That goes against the kingdoms of this world. That goes what you call against the grain. But it's the only way that Jesus calls us to. Without Jesus, we're unable to love as he commands. Oftentimes, church, I ask you the question, how would your life be different if you weren't follower, if you weren't a follower of Jesus? This should be one of your answers. Right? I'm I'm loving people that maybe I normally couldn't love. I'm I'm loving beyond my abilities or my capabilities. Jesus is in my heart and I'm loving people. This is an area of my life that I can see God working. I'm not bragging about this, I'm kind of ashamed about it. But it wasn't that long ago that I defined a church by how well the people left me alone right I wanted to come to church I didn't want anybody to talk to me I just wanted to sit in my chair and I wanted to leave and I remember I was going to this church and I'd been going there for several weeks and my father-in-law comes to town and I said hey I need you to come to church this is the best church in the world you got to come with me and he comes there's like 40 people in this church we come we sit down we worship the pastor preaches we leave and he said I would never come back to this church again I was like "What what are you talking about And he goes, not one person said hello to us. Not one person greeted us. And I was like, isn't it awesome? (laughs) Like, I don't understand the problem. And he looked at me and said, no. And these people don't know the love of Christ. This church does not know Christ. And then God's a little funny because when we went to another church and we joined that church, you know what my first ministry position was? First impressions. Greeter. Greeter. Right? I became the greeter and I'm like, God is working in my life. And He's been doing some amazing things. So it was my job to go find people like me and introduce them to Jesus. I knew Jesus, I just didn't really like people, but we're working on that. Right? Followers of Christ live in a community that loves one another better than anything that the world has ever seen. Right? A Holy Spirit empowerment of community of Christ followers is not identified by the crosses on our wall, the fishes on our car, the I love Jesus t shirts the coffee cups with the really cute verses on them that are usually out of context. has nothing to do with any of that stuff. We are defined by our love for one another. That's how the, the, the outside world looks at us. That's how the outside world sees us. That's how the outside world defines us. And just like Peter, we have no power within ourselves to continue as followers of Jesus Without the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus says, "Hey, I'm going to follow you," but he can't. He's he's unable. He doesn't have the power of Jesus living in him. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in him, and he had to wait. Right? He had to wait till Jesus. Guess what? We don't have to wait anymore. This happened two thousand years ago, right? The the power comes into us. Some Christians like to think like, "Oh, I got to wait till I die." That's not true. Jesus already did that. The moment you put your faith in Him guess who's living in you? Guess who's empowering you, not for your glory, but for his glory. Right? Peter had to wait till Pentecost, but we don't have to, mo- to wait. The moment we put our Christ, our faith in Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do His work, and part of his work is loving others as He loved us. That's his promise, and that's what we see in that promise. Love as I have loved you, that we are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you remember, the first promise was that God's glory would be revealed on the cross. Second promise is that we are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's get to the last promise. We begin in chapter 14. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So he's about to give him another promise, but he takes a little break and he says, hey, I need you to put your trust back in me. Right? I need you to, to stay focused on me. Right? Stay with me. This is when he's looking at his disciples. Like, trust in me. Right? Their hearts are troubled. He knows that. Right? His departure is stirring up this mixture of doubt and confusion and uncertainty and fear in their hearts. And Jesus is getting their attention. Hey, I get it. Stay focused on me. Right? Keep your faith on me. It is in him. It's in times of fear and confusion and stress. It is only in him that we find comfort and rest. And as he is sharing with them and their minds are starting to go other places, he says, no, 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 come back to me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Just relax. Breathe in, breathe out. Look at me. Believe in God as also you believe, believes in me. As young Jewish men, that's what they were brought up They were brought up to call on God in times of trouble they were brought up to when they were scared or when they were nervous and they didn't know what was going on they they would cite all these things they were taught hey just put your focus back on God just look at God and here they are facing one of the most difficult times in their life and Jesus says hey trust in me remember that you did in God doing me I'm the son keep your eyes on me right the cure the the antidote for the virus of anxiety The cure or the antidote for the virus of fear, confusion, hopelessness, brokenness, all of those things. The cure is to trust in Jesus. Not emotions. Not experience. Not other people. Right? The cure is to trust in Jesus. And here Jesus is saying, hey, I get it. Right here, look at me. Keep your focus on me. And he goes on with this last promise in verse two. It says, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, immediately after he announces that he's leaving, He promises that they will eventually be with him where he is going, right? That he's going to prepare a a place for them, right? The joy that was set before Christ as he was going to the cross, right? The joy of being reestablished in his glory, the joy of seeing his children come together is the same joy that we have knowing that one day we will be in a presence. He's building a room and we will be in the presence. The glorification will be in the presence of God's glory, We will be with our brothers and sisters and we will love them to death. Right? Even the EGR ones, right? The ones that require extra grace. Right? Extra grace required. You want me to tell you a little secret? You're one of those people. Right? We all require extra grace and we will be in heaven and we'll be in His glory forever. Our hearts should not be troubled. He's leaving, but it's temporary. The pain will end. And just like the trouble that we're dealing with now, we know it will end because of the cross. We know it will end because we saw God's glory on the cross and it was revealed. And we know when we think about it, right, when we get out of our little funk and we say, okay, and we put our eyes on Jesus, Jesus said, put your eyes on me, we know that that glory on the cross is greater than anything that we are facing or anything that we are dealing with or anything in the past. We know that he is preparing a place for us and soon, right, soon we will be with him. When you start thinking about our life's so a little dash, our life's a little miss, whatever you want a call, I will tell you right now if you live to be 80 years old, that's nothing compared to eternity. If you leave, live to be 100 years old, guess what? That's nothing compared to eternity. And Jesus is reminding them, he's revealing the outcome to his disciples like, hey, it's, gonna be, it's not going to be good. You're going to have a bad day. But let me tell you what's coming. Let me tell you about the hope that is coming. And Jesus is removing their fear. He's soothing their anxiety. He's trying to give them an eternal focus of what is coming. Verse fourteen, three. This is one of the sweetest verses that we overlook in Scripture all the time. You will be with me where I am. You will be with. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his followers. You will be with me where. I am that is the promise of heaven that we will be with Jesus heaven is not great because there's no sickness heaven is not great because there's no death or there's no pain it's not great because the streets will be made with gold no matter what the marines think it's not great because marines think they're guarding the streets that doesn't make it special It's not great because every tear will be wiped away. All those things are true and all those things are nice. But heaven is great because Jesus is there. Right? Heaven is great because Jesus is there. If you're chasing anything else, you're going to be disappointed. Heaven is great because Jesus is there. Think of every word that describes good, beautiful, and peaceful, and joyous, and wonderful, great, amazing, happy, spectacular man those words mean nothing when you're standing in the presence of jesus jesus is so much greater than we can imagine right the the truth is is we can only imagine but it's going to be so much greater than we imagine it's going to be so much greater because jesus is there even in this passage, Jesus gives no details concerning the future state. Right? He doesn't talk about what your house is going to look like. He doesn't talk about if the trees are going to be the most beautiful green and the oceans is going to be either blue or green glacier water. He doesn't mention any of that. He just simply says, you will be with me. You will be where I am. That is sufficient. Right? There's nothing greater. And the truth is, none of that stuff matters. I just wanna I just wanna be where Jesus is. That's this great blessing. It's this assurance of eternal life with Jesus in a heavenly home. And this is all possible because Jesus went to the cross. Right? We needed Jesus to go to the cross, we needed Jesus to be resurrected, we needed his sacrifice to be accepted, we needed God to to display and demonstrate perfect justice. And we see that glory on the cross and because of that glory on the cross we get to spend eternity with Jesus forever. And we think about these seasons. We think about those things that trouble our hearts. The the loss of a dear one. And and church, listen, I'm not not minimizing this. It's painful. It's hurtful. I mean, our hearts are, are, are broken. And sometimes it's hard to even see past that day. Or maybe our disillusionment with this present world. Right? More, we, we get so caught up in the things of this world, and we let that dictate our life, the things that are going on right now, or something that just happened in the news, and we let political people, we let tyrants, we let all these people dictate our lives. But church, Jesus said, no, 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 look at me. Right? He, he tells us, hey, renew your trust on me. Rediscover that gift of peace and in the, in the confidence that is coming as he promises, he prepares a place for us that one day we will be with him in all of his glory. And that's a, a promise that that will be. Eternity, we will be with God and this stuff be a distant memory. If, if a memory at all, right? Heaven, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Jesus promises to be there. Listen to the words of King David as he reflects on the presence of God. As he reflects on who God is. He says, you make known to me the path of my life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is eternity. The fullness of joy for all of eternity. right? The the right hand or pleasures forevermore. We have all the pleasures of life. Later in Psalms, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. Every single one of your desires are met as you delight in the Lord, as you worship with the Lord. Fullness of joy forevermore. This is heaven. This is standing in the presence of God. It's a a promise. It's the eternal promise of Jesus that sustains us through all the difficult times of our life. It's that hope that one day I will be with Jesus when everything else is questionable the one thing we can hold on to is that Jesus's faithfulness is as sure as yesterday was and that Jesus will be faithful he promised that he can't go against promises it's against his character the Lord is coming to take his people home and to share his glory that is a promise in scripture and it is by his faithfulness that we'll spend eternity in his glorious presence, which no troubles of today can even touch. Though the, the days might seem long, and in our pain, we may even feel forgotten. Right? Read, read through the Psalms. Dave was a man after God's own heart. How many times did he feel forgotten? But the truth is that God has set aside a day when he'll bring his children home. Right? That, that day was actually entered on the calendar when God made the world. It's there, it's in place, and it's drawing nearer day by day. It's coming. And one day, one day, I don't, I, I don't know when it is. I'm not going to try and predict bad things happen to people that do that. I don't know. If Jesus doesn't know, I'm not going to claim to know. But there will be one day, and I believe it will be one day soon, that we will be for all of eternity, right, that for, forever and ever, we will be in the presence of Jesus. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more heartache. But there will be Jesus. And there will be a whole lot of Jesus. And I'm waiting for that day. And when our worlds are turned upside down and the pain is great and the heartache feels unbearable, we need to remember the promises of God. And as I was going through this, I just want to leave you. We're going to end right here. There's three things. People always talk about application, right? Well, one, you should know the word of God and you should know the promises of God. So let's just start there. That's pretty encouraging to know those things. But I want to give you some things. One thing we can do when we're facing those, long, those hard and tough days is we can reflect on his glory. We know that on the cross he defeated death. He defa- defeated pain. He defeated sorrow. He defeated sorrow. The heartache in our heart, the pain that is real that we feel inside us, he nailed it to the cross. And not only did Jesus was Jesus resurrected, but with him he brought life. He brought healing and restoration and joy to those at the foot of the cross. Right? So we need to reflect on his glory. Let that be the focus of our hearts. When our hearts are troubled, let's go back to the cross. When our hearts are troubled, let's go back to the cross and see the glory of God. The next thing that we need to do is, we need to rely on his power. That's a promise, he said you're gonna be in power. So when we go through these times when we are hurting, what's the first thing that we do? We isolate ourselves. We say nobody wants to hear this, nobody wants to work with us, we just go into this little self-pity thing and we isolate ourselves. Right, you know the second thing we do is, we start hurting people. Have you ever heard that saying, hurting people hurt people? Man, that's just our natural reaction. Right? We feel alone. We feel like maybe we're burdens to other people. We feel worthless. I just want to tell you right now that we need to rely on the power of God. And when you face these things, I want you to lean into your Christian fellowship. I want you to lean into your Christian community. I want you to lean into your faith family. This is why we have small groups. This is why we have small groups. I want you to allow them to love you. And I want you to trust in his power. Rely on his power as he loves you and as he empowers you to love others. The last thing I want you to do, this is the last thing, is I want you to rejoice in the promise of heaven. Right? I want you to rejoice in his presence, that we will be with him, that we will be with him forever. A.W. Tozer, he called heaven the long tomorrow. That's how he described heaven. He said it's the long tomorrow. And when we're faced with the never-ending days of today, where fear has grabbed your heart in what feels like forever, where uncertainty seems to be the only thing that is certain, where the heartache of loneliness and lostness and brokenness feels unbearable. On those days, we need to remember that there's only one day that will never, ever end. It is the long tomorrow, and it will last the rest of your life. And guess what? It'll be the best day of your life. We will experience His glory. We'll know love perfectly and we will be with him forever. That's what Jesus promises his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. And that's what Jesus promises his followers today. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so, <laughs> we look at your promises, Lord, and, and, and just blown away. We, we don't know what to say, Lord. And I would just pray that as we face the difficulties of the day, that your word would be written on our hearts Lord, I pray as we face the difficulties of today, we would turn to you. We'd have the courage to follow you. Lord, and please give us the faith to trust you. Lord, we love you. And we look at the cross and we know that you love us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for for this time that we have to worship you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.